Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. Hey, Zach, come on up here for a minute. Let me see this. This guy, you guys, this guy is amazing. Didn't you appreciate him on the drums this morning? Amazing guy. I, I looked up, and as, as I looked up and saw him playing on the drums, it was right around the time we were singing about um, God doing miracles. And I looked in that cage, and I saw Zach playing the drums. And he's going to share a little bit of his story, and I'm going to help him if he, can rem- if he forgets any of it. I'll help, help him out. Well, so some of you might know, some of you might not. Uh, 2013, it was in February, we had a really big, nasty storm. I think it was called Nemo. Huge blizzard. And I was with one of Jer's sons, hanging out with his family, and we had to go get dish soap, of all things. And we were going out right before it got really bad. So we're going to run right to the store, come right back. Right, famous last words. Coming up a small hill, and this big box truck decides he's going to pull out in front of us. And Jer's son hit his brakes, brakes locked up, and we whoosh, right through everything and just slammed right into the side of the truck. Now, at the time, I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so God's grace was already all over that moment because in my ping-ponging around the inside of Jer's van, I stayed inside, and I landed sitting in the chair still, but with my arm like this around his chair. So when I came to, I couldn't move. I just felt, you know, when your leg falls asleep or your foot falls asleep, it just feels really big, pins and needles. That's how my entire body felt. Huge. All I could move was my arms. So paramedics came, got me out, threw me in the back of the ambulance, and started doing all kinds of checks on me, using the hammer, running the hammer under my feet and stuff, and I said, I can't really feel anything on my right side. So they said, okay, we're going to go to Worcester. Now, at the time, they didn't tell uh, Daryl's son where they were taking me other than just Worcester. And they shut the door and off we went. So he went home and looked up hospitals in Worcester. And of course, if you know Worcester, all these red flags pop up and he has no clue. So they bring me in, rush me into the, uh, the ER and they're you know doing their thing, cutting stuff off, hooking me up, doing all these things. And well, a good sign was they had to run a catheter And as much pain as I was in and couldn't feel, I could feel the catheter. So the doctor said, that's really great news already, but you're still in pretty bad shape. So it ran all the tests. I broke my neck. So I broke my C6. So I was in a hospital bed as this storm rode in. Uh, I somehow was able to remember my dad's cell phone number, which I rattled off. And that was it. They never told me if they had called him. I didn't know if anybody knew where I was, if anybody knew what had happened. I'm laying in a room in the ICU all by myself, and I just, for the first time in years, just bawled my eyes out like a little baby. Because I'm like, nobody knows where I am. I don't know what's going to happen to me. No idea. So they come in. Uh, Once the the travel restriction had been lifted, I started to get some visitors, which was awesome. Daryl and Lynn were there almost immediately. Daryl, I couldn't see him. Somebody made a comment. I said something, and then I heard Daryl's booming voice from the hallway, and as soon as he came in, (laughs) just a blubbering mess. And I I know these two, Daryl and Lynn, for a very long time. They're they're like parents. So I, you know, it was it was nice to have them by my side, as crippled as I was. And you know, we right from the get-go, just immediately. We're going to partner with God on this, and we're going to see this turn, and we're not, going to, we're not going to have any other outcome other than complete healing. Just not going to settle for it. So the doctor came in, surgeon came in, said, you broke, you completely destroyed your, your disc, which is why you're paralyzed, because it's pushing up against your spine, so it's killed everything. So we're going to do a bunch of surgery, all that stuff, and get you on the mend. So they did. They put a cage in. I didn't have to wear one of the big, huge halo things that they talk about, <laughs> thank God. Um, but, you know, I had, an, I had a uh, neck brace, and they, they brought me in, and they just said, okay, now you're on the, the road to recovery, but I needed help to eat everything. The way I like to describe it is I had zero 
fine motor skills in my right side, my right hand. So try to pick up a Q-tip off of the counter. And as easy as that is, I couldn't do it. I had to use my left hand to, like, put on top of the table. And I, I just I couldn't do anything. So during this time, you know, I'm sitting in there doing nothing. My dad goes to a music store and says, I'm going to get you some sticks. I'm going to put some pipe insulation around those sticks. So that way you can just hold them and just do something with your hands. So he went into this music store. He told the store owner, oh, my son broke his neck. You know, I'm trying to get him some drumsticks so he can, you know, just do some light rehabilitation. And the, the store owner was like, take him. Take him and tell him I said get better. So my dad brought these things in, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm just kind of doing this. And now in the meantime, I've had visitors. I've had phone calls. Um, I'm getting a little bit of strength, but I, I still can't walk. I've been in bed for, man, over a week now. And kind of skipping through a lot of stuff, but dad over here gives me a call one day, and it's just him and I on the phone, and we're talking, and he tells me, I don't remember. Do you want to jump in? Do you remember what you said? Because I can't remember. I, I, I remember All right, good. I that can. conversation quite well, actually. <laughs> the doctors had told him he'd never play the drums again, because he wouldn't be able to use his right hand to grip. And he was distraught about it, and that, that's his vision. He's had a, he's invested a lot into drumming over the years, and has a vision for playing in bands and groups. And so, when I heard that, and I heard how distraught he was, um, we had just started teaching on exousia at the church and the authority of the believer. And I said, whoa, 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 let's just stop right there, and let's just. Um, Let's just focus on what God has to say. And what he, he doesn't have that same report. And I said, this is where the rubber meets the road for your life right now. You need to start prophesying to your neck. And you need to start prophesying to your body for it to get healed. I think I was pretty... I, I don't know if I it was It wasn't that, as nice as that. that it wasn't as nice as that. <laughs> Because I, I heard him saying he's going to be paralyzed the rest of his life, basically. Yeah. I said, no, 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 you need, this is where the rubber meets the road. You need to start prophesying. Yep. You get and your, you need get to start your, speaking. Get yourself out of that bed. Yep. And it wasn't long after that phone call that my, the nurse that was working for the day, she came in. And, you know, if you've been in the hospital, they have ways of helping you go to the bathroom. And she took everything from me. Everything. She said, here's what we're doing. She said, today, when you have to go to the bathroom, you're ringing that buzzer. And I'm going to come. And I'm going to get you out of this bed, and you're going to walk to that bathroom. <laughs> it's like, I'm, what? I don't think so. I could barely even stand. But by the end of the day, I was hobbling, and I, I got in. I got into the bathroom. And by the end of the day, I, you know, you just those little steps, and then the, the hope starts to reignite. And you start to see, as you step out in faith, take that first step. We always talk about, take the first step. God will meet you there. And we're like, oh, yeah, it's so. And I did. And by the end of the day, I remember standing like this, just with a Johnny on. Like, man, it feels so good to stand. So good to walk. Now, then, you know, they, so then from there on, they, they'd put a strap around me and walk me down the hallway, walk me back. I couldn't even get up a step the first day. By the second day, I could get up two steps. And as I kept moving, I got stronger. And the doctors were blown away because they said, where you are, two weeks now, they were going to send me to a monitored rehab clinic because they said, you need round-the-clock care. And I was like, I don't think so. I want to go home. I want to go home. And I remember the doctor came in for like a final check to decide what they could do, and he put his hand down by my right foot, and he said, push with everything you have. And I did. I, I pinched his hand against the bed. He was like, stop, 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 it hurts, let it go, let it go. He's like, I think we need to reevaluate where we're going to send you now because we think you're at a point where as long as you can take your neck brace off to change for sleeping, we can let you go home. And the next day, I was hobbling out of the hospital in a wheelchair with my dad, and I went to his house for the next six or seven weeks where I'd, I lived with them, my, my dad and my stepmom, who was a, a former nurse, and they helped me get to the point where I could get back home to be on my own. And the first real test while I was there, uh, man, it was probably eight or nine weeks since the crash, and I played percussion on that side of the stage. And I needed, drums, I needed 
gloves to hold the sticks because otherwise they'd go flying out of my hand. But I did. I played a 40-minute worship set with the team. And the best part is that September, that same year of 2013, my surgeon came in and he saw me sitting in a chair. I went for a follow-up and he opened the door and he just stopped and he looked at me and he said, do you need any, like, anything to help you walk? I said, no, I, I drove myself here. <laughs> and he just went like this, and he came in, and his, his physician's assistant, who had been with me, you know, and him the entire way, um, he, he, looked the, he just looked at me, and he said, um, he said, you're completely re- recovered. From a surgical standpoint, you have completely healed. Amen. Good job, Thank you. I love that testimony. Well, it's Thanksgiving week. Amazing. I'm surprised how fast November is flying by. I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm thankful that I'm here today, healthy, in good, good health. That's one of the things I'm thankful for. I don't know if I just said that, but I named all my five to Lynn during, the, uh, during Bob's exercise, and I think that's a great exercise just to remind ourselves. We have a lot to be thankful for, right? We have, we have a lot to be thankful for. Maybe hard season that we're going through, all of us, but we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, Sunday, I was with my family, and uh, Sunday afternoon after service, and we had a birthday party for my middle son, Joshua, who's 37. Hard to believe he's that old now. And uh, I'd eaten like Thanksgiving, you know what I mean? I mean, I looked down at my stomach, and it was chuck full of food. I had quite a lot to eat and didn't have a lot of water to drink, and I got in the hot tub with my son, and after about 20 minutes, I started sweating and said, man, it's really hot in here. So I got out of the tub and walked over to the de- deck, and I started feeling really lightheaded and dizzy. And my son-in-law asked if I was okay, and I said, yeah, well, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I guess he got up from his chair on the upper deck and came down to me, and and uh, he said, are you okay, Dad? And I, I, I guess I waved him off. I don't even remember this. I guess I waved him off and said, I'm fine. And the next thing I know, I woke up on the deck not knowing where I was, very confused, um, had puke all over me. I saw onions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was sitting there going, what happened? What happened? And, and I was still feeling out of it. And the next thing I know, the EMT showed up and um, started taking my vitals and they took my blood sugar, and my blood sugar was 47 and 51. Any of you that are medical experts know what that means. The EMT looked at me and said, are you diabetic? I said, no, not at all. Well, my blood's good. And So they wanted to take me to the hospital. I said, I don't need to go to the hospital. <laughs> I don't want to go to the hospital. Who wants to go to the hospital? I mean, they asked me, do you want to go to the hospital? That deserves an honest answer. No, nobody wants to go to the hospital, so... Uh, I went in the doctors the next day. I'm going to make this very, very quick, but I, um, I, I sat around with the family the rest of the day, and it was a real party stopper, honestly. I mean, if we're all having a good time, and all of a sudden, Grandpa's on the deck, you know. This is not... Uh, but we, we, we continued the party and sat around and talked, and I'll, I'll, I, my daughters were taking good care of me. My wife was taking good care of me. The boys were keeping a watchful eye on me as we sat and talked. And uh, there was one point in the conversation <laughs> that I told, I told the kids, I said, the, the ladies were off in the kitchen. I told the kids, I said, hey, watch this. I'm going to milk this out a little bit. Hey, honey. I had to go kind of loud because it was real noisy in there. Hey, hon. And I hear, yes. Could you please bring me a bowl of fruit? Uh, some of you didn't get that, but... She came, brought me a bowl of fruit. 
And that was funny because I was milking that out quite well. But they've, they've been checking me, running some tests on me. I was on a monitor 24 hours, um, and that came out great. No, no problems. Um, done two CAT scans so far, no problems. So I think I probably shouldn't have sat and dehydrated in the hot tub for so long. Anyway, if any of you have a hot tub, take heed. Don't drink a lot of water, stay hydrated, enjoy the hot tub. That's the moral of that story. Okay. Um, and so I've, I've, I, I, it's okay. I want to uh, talk today about something that I believe is uh, very much needed in our culture today, in our society, and something I think that easily gets overlooked. And that is, be still. To be still. Not the kind of still that I was on the deck. (laughs) Alive and still. And I want to talk about the art of learning to hear God. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. Now, this is a promise of God. Even though the nations might try to cover up God, they might try to pretend God doesn't exist, they might try to pretend they're the ones in total control, God will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We live in such a culturally diversified, busy, task-oriented, driven culture, we rarely take timeouts with God. Airways fill these minds with communications coming from various sources so that our knowledge jumps carelessly from theme to theme. Those who wait upon the Lord are those who have learned to wait with Him. I think that this is very important in this time that we live in. Waiting with the Lord. It signifies that there's an activity. It signifies that there's an interaction. Our walk with God reveals a relationship, right? Not a monologue of grievances, complaints, or requests, but rather learning to hear His voice in every situation and to wait upon Him. As a young boy, our family used to take, uh, oh, they're decorating in the cafe. I, I just saw a branch coming through the window and thought, well, there's a branch coming through the window. <laughs> Boy, there's a strong wind out there. Whew. And they were with one accord and suddenly a wind blew a branch into the, no, Okay. But rather, it's a learning to hear the voice in stillness as we wait with him. As a young boy, our family used to go to Shasta Lake. Shasta Lake is a large lake in Northern California in Redding. 299 square miles of ocean, or of uh, ocean, of shoreline. And we used to go out there and camp for a week, and sometimes two weeks at a time, depending on how much time my dad could get off. And on one particular occasion, I remember laying out uh, with my dad in our sleeping bags on the on our lounge chairs, cots or whatever you call those reclining beach chairs, we were laying out. And at that time, there was no lo- there was no light noise, you know, no light pollution. Reading was not a city; it was still a small country town. And out at the lake, you could just always see the expanse of stars so brilliant and clear. You could see the streak of the Milky Way going across the sky. And as we were laying there in the silence, we were listening to the waves hit the shore, and we're laying there in the silence, and suddenly my dad says, hey, look at that. Look at that light moving across the sky right there. And I said, where? And he pointed it out to me. I said, what kind of star is that, Dad? And he goes, I think that's, I think that's the Sputnik, a satellite that the Russians put up. Now, it wasn't. Uh, to, to give credit to my dad, the Sputnik was only up for about a, uh, six months or eight months of time, and, and then it crashed back down to the atmosphere. But my dad had never seen a satellite. He, 
he, he'd never, you know, as a kid, when he was out under the stars, there were no floating things up there in the sky other than a star that might be falling. But he thought it was a Sputnik, and I was so impressed. I was so excited. And I think... I think what caused me to think of this story is a father and a son laying out under the stars and discovering something new together. And be still and know that I am God signifies that to me. It signifies that we're in this place of diversified communications and so many things that are happening on around us. So easy to get distracted. So easy to um, just, if you will, get sucked into a vortex of activity. And like my dad and I laying out under those stars, there, there, there needs to be timeouts in our life with God where we actually take the time to be with Him. We actually... Spend the time. I'm not talking about becoming a monk and withdrawing from society and never having anything to do with people again. I'm talking about taking time out from being in the midst of everything and everyone. Just taking the time out to be with the Lord. And I think that's the art of hearing God. I know it's not a perfect example. My dad, unlike, unlike God, God knew it wasn't a Sputnik. My dad thought it was a Sputnik. It was around 1966, 1967 in that time frame. I was eight or nine years old as we laid out under that canopy of stars. But the memory of that with my dad, I mean, it's been how many years? I don't know, 50 years. And I still recall it as if it was yesterday. Because that moment of time with my dad that moment of time sealed something in me, a new experience, something that I looked up and saw it after he pointed it to me. I saw it floating across the sky. And now you can go out at any given night and look up and you can see satellites that are normal. They're like, they, they're up there. I think the other day I saw one crashing to the sky. It was really, really slow. It wasn't like a meteorite, but it just burnt out really, really slow. I think somehow there needs to be within believers a childlike appreciation to spend time with the Father, to have a Father who actually wants to spend time with us. There needs to be a childlike appreciation. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we've lost it. We've lost the art of really hearing God. Now we we think it's some drawn out, long, complex thing. You know, well, if, 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 I, if I need to wait for God, I first have to wait for the circus to get out of my head. That's going to take a half an hour at least. And then I need to quiet myself, and I need to be able to open myself up to hear from God. And that's how I successfully hear from God, Right? And we think these things, and it's like, no, you know what? It's not that. And it's not feeling like you have to be some kind of a monk that goes away into a, a closet or a building for the rest of your life. Like, I mean, we've seen these things, right, in history. We've seen these things even today. They don't necessarily have an attraction to them because we were meant to be together. As a community, we were meant to be amongst people. This is, it's not by accident that each of us come from various towns in New England and gather together as a community of believer. It's not an accident. We were meant to be community. We were meant to be community within our towns. The various towns that we come from, you're part of that community. It's what's meant to be. We're, we're meant to involve each other and be involved with each other and to be able to communicate and love and appreciate people. This is in us it, because 
We've been created in God's image, and it's in him to be involved, to be with us, to walk with us, as I shared last week, to take our hands and hold us. He longs for that involvement with us. There's power in a community that seeks the Lord. So I'm not saying that isolating and going off and being by yourself is how how you can hear God. It might be, but it's not the highway to heaven, believe me. Being together in the midst of all these distractions, in the midst of all the going-ons around, the various forms of of communication that we have, the various forms of the, the different types of internet, social medias, and the various other things that are going on, all of those things, all of them, we're part of that. We're not saying withdraw from all of that. We're saying be involved with that, but take some time out with the Lord. Because His presence is life. It's like where we gain life. It's presence, and you can, you can actually sit and watch. Did you know you can sit and watch a movie and be in God's presence? You can. He speaks through movies. I don't even know that the creator of the movie knew that God would be speaking through the movie. Some, yes. Others, probably not. And yet, there he is. He speaks through poems. He speaks through books. He speaks through radio. On rare occasion, he speaks through the news. Oh, that's a stretch. A movie, a song. And even in trials, he's there to speak. It doesn't matter how far away you think you are from him. Or how far away he feels. David sang this song. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Now that's a pretty broad spectrum. Heaven, hell. He's everywhere. If you're living through hell, he's there. If you're going through a very difficult time, he's there. If you're successful and things are going well with you and you're happy in life, he's there. He is able to reach our hearts from any location we find ourselves. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it's, it's really hard work. It's hard work to not find God. Did you hear me? It's hard work to not find him. You're working too hard if you can't find him. You are working way too hard. You're thinking too much. You're processing things wrong. If you can't find God, he's in everything. He's everywhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart means to rest in his presence to find him. Be still and know that I am God, he says. The word for still means silent or not to even speak. Now, explore how drastically culture has moved away from this kind of stillness, whether it be Google, TED Talk, News, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Parler, MeWe, whatever else is out there. Whatever it be. This whole world of diversified information is seeking, a, is seeking for us to be pulled into their platform. Into their platform. Feeding constantly on various aspects of interest can become quite addictive until we can't imagine life without these things. I, I, I'm going to go into some territory right now. It's just a matter of Helping us all to re-engage. It's easy to get addicted. I've been on Facebook since 2007. 
And I've seen the various changes. Every time they would change their platform, I would go, oh, man, I have to learn this all over again. So lately, I've been withdrawing from Facebook, having withdrawals. It's a good way to describe that. Withdrawals. You know what withdrawal from Facebook looks like? Anybody? You get on once in a while, you spend a few minutes, and you're off. But it's not just, if you will, the fasting of Facebook or other social medias. It's returning to that stillness. Returning to that time out with God. Instead of, being, instead of having my life filled with activities throughout the day. Pulling my heart aside to the Lord. Instead of being in the car listening to the radio as I go down the road. By the way, K-Love is a good, good station to listen to. I don't know if any of you listen to that, but that's a good station. To listen. It's very encouraging. They have some encouraging things that go on in K-Love. And uh, once in a while, I listen to WBZ, but there's times that I don't listen to anything. I just drive down the road and connect with him. It's a great way to spend your time connecting with the Lord. The truth is, this life is going to be full of distractions. You you can't avoid it. If you're a young mom raising kids, you have distraction city right there. Okay, You have distractions. And there are little people running around the house. And they are, well, being little people. (laughs) And they can be very distracting. You might feel like you don't have... Time out. I, I, Susanna Wesley, who's John Wesley's wife, I think they had 12 or 15 kids. I can't remember the total amount, but it was a lot. Big, big brood of children. And there would be times that she would just sit in the kitchen chair, pull her apron over her head, and all the kids knew when mom pulled her apron over her head, do not disturb her. <laughs> because that was her prayer closet. And she explained that well to the kids. This is my prayer closet. Don't disturb me when I'm in my closet. Now, I don't know how long she stayed under her apron. Probably depended on the kind of day it was. Maybe the apron was visited quite frequently with Susanna Wesley. I don't, I don't really know. But there can be distractions. And I, I feel like there's this need for us to understand that... There are two major forces in this world. On this earth, there are two major forces always at work. They don't sleep. They don't take a break. The first one is the world. And the world's system will try to diversify God into gods, plural. Because if they can diversify that culture, if they can diversify the God culture, they will destroy the singularity of that culture. And I feel like there's a danger in diversification in any culture and in this world system. The more that, the more that this world can get you to diversify, the, more, the chances are good that you'll lose the very culture that you have loved your whole life. There's the kingdom. So the world system has a single purpose, has to keep us away from God. The kingdom of God calls us to draw near. A kingdom of God calls us to draw near. Take the time out. Come. Draw near. I will draw near to you. It doesn't matter how far you think away, away you've come. The simple truth is, is return. If you feel far away from God, if you feel like he hasn't been talking to you lately, if you feel like you haven't been able to clearly hear him, turn to him. He is close. I like what Jesus said. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. That's how close he is. His presence is all around us every day. Now I feel like the diversification of cultures, the diversifications of societies. There's, a, there's like this attempt to merge all cultures together today into one 
right? One world government, one ruler. I don't know how that looks. But the diversification to diversify so many different cultures together is going to, some culture is going to get lost in that somewhere. And I feel like, you know what? The thing we cannot lose is the culture of drawing near. The culture of God's presence. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like there's any believer that should be compromised in this area of God's presence. His presence is all we need. It's, it's what we long for. I, I, this morning, um, for a brief moment, I found something in my desk drawer. And I pulled it out and I started gleaning through it. And it was a teaching that I did years ago on praise and worship. I think it must have been around 2005, somewhere in that time frame. And... I was going through the notes, and I turned about halfway through this notebook, and I found, uh, I found that in, in my writing back then, I was writing about the importance of seeking the presence of God. That was a long time ago. I forgot that I even did this teaching. I forgot I even had it. And I pulled it out, and I'm looking. And this, is, this has been in us, the presence of God. It's powerful, people. God's presence is so powerful. It's the only thing that can sustain a believer in this time and in this hour. Is His presence drawing into Him. I feel like there's, there's an attempt of this world to just have our minds open to everything. Be open to it all. Just be open to it all. And the problem is we become too open-minded, our brains are going to fall out and someone else is going to jump in. And the problem with being too closed-minded is you'll get stagnant and lose your creativity. So in between that is a really good place to find yourself, and that's in the presence of God. Because in His presence there is fullness of joy. In His presence we gain downloads from heaven, we gain the perspective of truth. And that's where be still and know that I am God comes in. Now, how many of you heard of Job in the Bible? Probably all something. Hopefully nobody here has tried to model your life after Job's. And hopefully nobody here thinks your life is Job's. The Job is an amazing guy. And he goes through... A terrible ordeal. He gets attacked by by the enemy. Loses basically everything. And in chapter 3 he says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble has come. I just wonder if in this time that we're in, though it's not a Job experience, that in this time it's... Do we have rest for our souls? Are we finding rest? Are, are we not at ease? Are we being quiet or are we not being quiet? I think without the presence of God, man's attempt to fix and comfort in times of trials always miss the mark. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning to me, And calm patience, you shall be delivered. Calm patience. (laughs) There's a big word right there. You put those two words together, calm and patience. And as humans, we have a difficult time. In calm patience, you shall be delivered. Keep quiet and rest. Trust in me. This shall be your power, your strength, and your confidence. And then Isaiah says this, but you would not. Well, I find that very intriguing and very alarming. That the prophet is saying, we can find rest in quietness and stillness and in rest is our deliverance. But you would not. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus comes along and he says, Come to me, 
Hey, come on to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here Jesus is giving an invitation. He's saying, come, come to me. Come, come. And it's all we need to do. It doesn't matter how gifted we are. It doesn't matter how gifted we think we are. This applies to all of us. This time of rest, this time of being still, this time of drawing near. It's so important to our souls. It's important to our lives. It's important to how we think. It's important to our hearts. Any damage that's going on in our hearts, any, any uh, uh, pain, any kind of like emotional hurt, any of that stuff, be still and know that I am God. Come. For he's lowly in heart. You know what lowly in heart? It means he's, he's not too busy that he won't spend time with you. Now, how, many have ever, how many have ever had a conversation with God and you want him to tell you something and he doesn't? Wow, not very many. I, I, I guess we're in the minority, right? You want him, you come to him, you want him to talk to you. Okay, I need an answer. Maybe if, depending on the situation, it might be so, de- if you don't answer me now, I don't think I can continue following you. Listen. Be still. Silence that thing. I know it might feel like it makes sense to you. But silence that thing. Be still and know. That word for know in the Hebrew means intimacy. It actually, it, it actually symbolizes uh, sexual relationships between a, a man and a wife. Intimacy. Be still and know. Be that close to God that you know that even in the stillness, He's there. You might not be hearing what you want to hear. You might not hear the way you think you should. But He's there. He's right there. Be still and know. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And diversifying our beliefs away from these foundational truths would be the double-mindedness that I think James is speaking of. Yeah. Be still. I think a lot I think I think today in our society a lot of people are afraid of silence. Now, I'm not saying we have to be silent all the time. Please understand me, but I think that there's a lot of people that are afraid of the silence. They're afraid of just pulling into the Lord. Maybe they're afraid of what they might hear. Maybe they're maybe they're sick of hearing their thoughts bombard them all the time. And that getting into the Silence like opens up all kinds of stuff. But trust me, if we get there with the understanding that he's a good God and he wants to spend time with us, all we need to do is get there. You understand? Screw Tapes Letters by C.S. Lewis. I, I, it's an amazing book. I, I first read this back, I think it was like 1979 or 1980. It was written in 1942. It's an amazing book about a demon who writes a letter to his nephew demon. So you've got an uncle and a nephew talking back and forth in letters. And they're talking about people. And they're talking about, in particular, how they need to keep distracting believers. And these letters of which there are 46, they, they go back and forth with each other of strategizing to distract the believer so he doesn't come into the reality of who God is and who they are in God. And it's a very interesting book. I don't know how many of you have read it. It's just uh, perfect. But Screwtape is the uncle. Wormwood is his nephew. <laughs> and it's really about the dangers found when humans encounter the presence of God. And in this one section of the ninth letter, 
It reads, if your client consciously directs his prayers, not to what I think you are, this is in quotes, not to what I think you are, but who you know yourself to be, our situation is desperate. Remember, this is a demon talking. When men thrust themselves to the completely real, external, invisible presence, there with him in the room, there is no telling what will happen. In avoiding this situation, this real nakedness of the soul in prayer, you will be helped by the fact that the humans themselves do not desire it. As much as they suppose. It's a long time problem found in the very beginning after the original sin. You remember, Adam and Eve, after they partook of the fruit, they hid from his presence in the cool of a garden. Whether it's consciously, unconsciously, hiding from God's presence, avoiding his presence is the thing that gets us most in trouble. I think it's why I like Exodus chapter 33. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Do you know how busy the world is trying to destroy that kind of culture in believers? That we are actually separate with God. We are actually walking with God. There is an attempt in the world system to even just unplug us from God as much as we can be. To just put us in the general population of everybody else. But it's not true, is it, Sam? We walk with God by faith. And we trust him. And we know who he is. And he's good. And he's faithful. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. And your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know that getting alone with God is not torture? It's not like some tedious mundane thing. We have to quiet ourselves. Really? I like hearing myself a lot. Getting alone with him is full of treasures. It's full of purpose. It feeds our soul. Psalms 31.19 says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of various tongues. Psalms 140 says, Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. And then I have one closing scripture that I want to talk about with this special Bible character that I was fascinated with even as a child on this man's story. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, some of you are worried because I just got into a huge major story. But I'm not going to go there and dissect this story. Other than to say, Jonah tried to run from the presence of God. And the end of the story showed how fruitless that activity is. Take the time. Be still and know that he is God. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. There is joy. And there's fullness of joy. Can you stand with me today? I want to pray for us today. I I feel like um, as I was doing this, I felt, you know, it would be good just to close in prayer.
Lord, I thank you that you speak in many various ways. I thank you that you can even speak through Facebook and Twitter and various other aspects of our society and our culture. And while those things are all good in themselves, they could diversify us too much away from your presence. Father, I ask for this church. I thank you for this house. I thank you for who you are in this house. I thank you for your presence. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. We don't have to turn to substance to make ourselves happy. We just need to turn to you. I pray, Father, for this house. And I pray for this church. I pray for this people. I pray for this community, for this region, for the state, for New England. I ask that you would propel us to draw near to you. That people at night, as they go down, as they lay their head down to sleep, that your presence would visit them. That you would encounter people with your presence. In the stillness. In the quiet. Now your presence will say to them, hey, look at this. This is something that you haven't thought about. Look at this. Strike to our hearts, to our souls, and strike to our minds. In Jesus' name. How many, how many remember taking time out as a, or giving your kids time out? I, I never took time out as a kid. I think it was before that time, but it, what's the purpose of giving your kid a time out? Right? So they'll be still, right? I mean, it could be a form of punishment, sure. Yeah, I suppose. But it's that they'll be still. Be still and know that I am God. God bless you, church. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.